0: Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. You can find this on page 917 in your pew Bible. And we want to let you know, if you don't own a Bible, or if you know someone that doesn't own a Bible, please take that one as a gift from us, to you or to the person that you know. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Paul. Good morning and happy Easter. So glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, My name is Bill Gorman. I serve here at the Brookside Campus as the campus pastor. And we're really glad that you're here at Christ Community this morning. Um, Whether this is your your church home or you're just visiting this morning with us, we're so thrilled uh, that we're celebrating Easter together on this day. And during our services, uh, we take usually about 30 minutes uh, at some point in the service to uh, look closely at a passage of Scripture, because we believe that the primary way that God communicates to us as humans, as people, is through uh, His Word, the Bible. And so um, as we prepare to do that now together, um, I'd love to pray and ask that God would be at work making Himself known to us uh, through the Scriptures. So let me pray now. Guide us, O God, by Your Word and Holy Spirit, that in Your light we may see light, and in Your truth find freedom, and in Your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, amen. Well, who is today for? Who is this day for? Who is Easter Sunday four is Easter Sunday. Is it is it just for sort of good people who who like to come to church, who like to do good things? Uh, is it is it mostly for the kids and the candy and the egg hunts? Who is today for? Well, as a church, we've been studying uh, the book of Acts uh, in the Bible. and uh, the Bible is a collection of books actually it's it's one book made up of of sixty six smaller books that all tell one story. and in the book of Acts, it picks up the story after Jesus's death and resurrection and and it tells the story of really the beginning of what we now know as the church. It tells the story of the beginning of the church. and now, when you heard that passage of Scripture that Paul read just a moment ago, um, you may have been thinking, wait, did they get the wrong passage? Because that wasn't, uh, I, I'm not a Bible scholar, but that didn't seem like that was the resurrection story. I mean, um, and, and, and you're right, that wasn't the resurrection story. It's true. The account in Acts chapter 8 isn't the story of Jesus' resurrection, but it is the story of where the resurrection of Jesus meets an individual life. And in the story of Easter, we see that Easter meets every day. In this story of, that we're going to look at this morning, we see that Easter meets Monday morning. In, in this story, Easter meets every day. And, right, it's kind of a strange story. If you were listening as Paul was reading the Scripture, I mean, this guy is in his chariot. He's he's reading from a scroll and then kind of just minding his own business. And this guy walks up to him on the side of the road. And, you know, I don't know about you, but typically if I'm out in public and someone just kind of starts walking up to me, my impulse is usually to kind of walk away, uh, to put some distance. Even at Christmas in the plaza, you know, like KCP&L or whatever is always handing out candy canes. And my first impulse is always to be like, ah, no thanks. I just want to move away from just random people walking up to me in public. And, and so typically those kind of moments, you know, they don't change the entire trajectory of your life. Um, You usually don't adopt a new uh, religion or worldview just because of someone you meet on the side of the road. But that's actually what we see happening in this account. And it raises the question for us this Easter morning of, of who is this day for? Who is this day for? Now, like all good stories, this one begins by introducing us to the setting of the story and the key characters. And Luke, who is the author of this account, he, he paints a picture for us of the setting, of where the story takes place. And he begins by introducing to us uh, Philip, who is one of the leaders in the early church, and he receives instructions from, from a supernatural messenger to go south, to go on a road trip. And so Philip is headed south on this road, and he enters into this kind of deserted, abandoned stretch of road. So, you know, kind of imagine in your mind if you've ever gone on a road trip and you're driving through, you know, far west Texas or, or Utah, and there's one of those stretches of road that's just like no, no services for the next hundred miles kind of a thing, right? If you've been on one of those, that's, that's where he's entering into this deserted stretch of road. It's the heat of the day, there's no one around. And actually, I wonder if at some point on that trip, Philip started wondering, what in the world am I supposed to be doing out here? Because he's not given any specific instructions by the messenger, just go south on this road. And I wonder if he's starting to get tired, it's hot, no one's out there, it's an abandoned stretch of road. But then you can kind of picture it, can't you? He's walking and he sees kind of off in the distance a little cloud of dust being kicked up. He gets a little closer and he sees a chariot being pulled by horses. And, you know, I can imagine maybe he starts to, to jog at this point. And maybe he's thinking, you know, I don't know if this is the guy I'm really supposed to be out here to meet or not, but maybe at least he can give me a ride. I'm tired of walking. And then we're introduced to the person sitting in the chariot. And this is really significant. Because in biblical narrative, in biblical stories we usually get very little description of what people look like, how they're dressed, especially just kind of their physicality. We just don't get that much description of what characters look like, um, which is really different than modern Western literature, right? If you, you, know, you read Harry Potter by the end of the first few chapters, you know exactly. You have a clear picture in your mind of what Harry and Hermione and Ron and the Dursleys, because you know what they look like. You can imagine their clothing and the place that they live. It's all given in vivid detail, but in biblical narrative, we almost never get physical descriptions, I and mean, we're told virtually nothing about what Jesus, the most significant character in the story. We don't know anything what, what he looked like. Rather, biblical narrative focuses on the actions of characters. So, if we are given a description of a character, it's really important. It's really telling. It really matters for the storytelling. And with this guy in the chariot, we get two really big descriptive details. First, we're told that he is an Ethiopian, and in the world of the first century when this account happened, uh, Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth, and it's actually a little bit north of of what we consider modern-day country of Ethiopia today. We're kind of in the area of what would be southern Sudan now, and at the time, this was a powerful African kingdom, And so that's the first detail we're given, that he's an Ethiopian. The second detail we're given is that he's a eunuch. Now, you probably didn't expect to hear that word on Easter Sunday morning. Um, and maybe you're like, I don't even know what that word means. So you'll get it in a second here. So, so eunuchs were men who had been castrated. So that's why you're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, well, Sunday morning. Um, so while they were serving the king or queen, they, they wouldn't be a threat to the royal line, right? They serve in the court, so they want to protect the royal line. And we're told that this Ethiopian eunuch was indeed a high official in Queen Candace's court. He was the treasurer for the country, Now, I know this is odd, right? But it's an important fact It tells us something significant about him. It means he wasn't married. It means he didn't didn't have a family. He he didn't conform, didn't fit to the the normal sort of male-female stereotypes of the day. He he couldn't have children. And, And what's more, according to the Old Testament law, he wouldn't have been able to participate in some parts of of Jewish worship. He would have been prohibited from from entering certain parts of the temple complex. And, And I point that out because the text tells us that he was returning from worshiping in Jerusalem. He had traveled an enormous distance, hundreds of miles, to go to the temple to a place where he wouldn't even have been allowed in. And he's reading the Jewish scriptures <clears throat> which, which side note by the way, one of my favorite parts of this whole passage is when Philip asks him, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he's like, "No. How how can I unless I have someone to explain it to me?" And if you've ever read the Bible for yourself, you've probably had that moment, right? Where you're like, "What in the world does this mean?" I mean, maybe you were there when Paul was reading this passage this morning. I don't know what this means. Uh, I certainly had a moment like that this week when I sat down and thought, okay, Easter Sunday morning, eunuchs, what am I going to do? Like, I need someone to explain this to me. Um, And Philip is going to help him understand. Just to remind it's okay to need help understanding the Bible. We all need help understanding the Bible. But all of this description of who this this Ethiopian official is, it, it all adds up to a picture of a person who would have a hard time fitting into a lot of churches, doesn't it? I mean, he's he's from a different country. He doesn't know his Bible all that well. He isn't married. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't fit the normal cultural male-female stereotypes. So, who is this day for? Who is Easter for? and is it for people like him and the answer that we see in the text so clearly is that yes this story makes it abundantly clear that this day is for him this day is for anyone who is this day for this day is for anyone you see, that's what sets religion and Christianity so, so distinctly apart, because religion is primarily for good people who want to do good things. And, and on that basis, religion ends up actually being kind of exclusive. But Christianity is for people who know they aren't good. That's the first step in becoming a Christian, is knowing that you aren't good. And on that basis, it's radically inclusive. Christianity says that everyone is in need of a rescue. And therefore, anyone who acknowledges that need can turn to Jesus as their hope. At the heart of Christianity is the recognition that Easter is for everyone, it's for anyone. It's for the religious and the irreligious. It's for those who who grew up going to church every single Sunday until they were sick of it, and it's for people who never, ever have felt comfortable walking through the doors of a church. It's for the young and for the old. It's for those who fit into the majority culture and those in the minority culture. It's for those people who live in the neighborhood, and it's for those people who live at the very ends of the earth. Who is this day for? This day is for anyone, but there's more. There's more. Because as the story continues to unfold, Philip, this early Christian leader, he asks this Ethiopian official, right? He says, do you understand what you're reading? And like we've already said, the guy's like, nope, I don't. I have no idea. And, And Luke, the author of this account, actually includes for us a little bit of the passage that this Ethiopian official was reading, and it's from a portion of the Old Testament called Isaiah, and this is what he, he reads. He says, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Now, the context of these verses in Isaiah is about a promised servant promised servant who would come to suffer for other people's wounds, for other people's griefs and sorrows. And Isaiah is revealing that this promise that, that, that one day someone would come to take the pain of others so that they could be healed. And verse 33 is really interesting here because one of the reasons that Isaiah laments that the servant will not be able to uh, do all the, he was, excuse me, he laments because the servant, he's not going to be able to have children. Did you, did you catch that? Because of his untimely death. It says, you know, what are we going to come of his generations? Because his life will be taken away from the earth. You see, it's, it's no wonder that this Ethiopian eunuch would have read this verse and wanted someone to help him understand it because that was his wound he was also facing a childless future. A childless future because someone had damaged his body. Someone had made a choice for him. Someone had ruined and taken away the prospect of of a family for him. and, And we recognize that a childless future, a possibility of not being able to have children, that's a difficult thing today for anyone but it was all the more difficult in the ancient world where success and significance in life were not so much measured by career or wealth accumulation or accomplishment, but they were measured by your family and that your your mark in the world really was this, this family line that would remember you, that would celebrate you, that would carry your name forward. This person didn't have any hope of that. And Philip begins with this very text from Isaiah, and he explains to this wounded Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. So, don't miss the significance of that. Because you see that Christians believe that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus, that this entire book is ultimately about Him. And Christians believe this about the Bible because Jesus believed this about the Bible. We began the service by hearing a portion of Luke chapter 24 read, when Jesus is is raised from the dead. Well, later on in that very same chapter of Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus is walking along the road with two men, and He begins to explain to them that the whole Bible is actually about Him. Luke chapter 24 verse 27 says this, And beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, that's basically the rest of the Bible, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, the Bible isn't just a collection of rules. It's not just a a bunch of stories about how to be a moral person. In fact, if you actually read the stories of the Bible carefully, they're, they're mostly about people making really poor choices and behaving very badly. If you're looking for a a book of, of kind of good example stories, this is not necessarily going to be your first choice. This is a book about Jesus, about our desperate need for Him, and how He works with broken, rebellious, messed up people to rescue them. This is a book about Jesus. From beginning to end, it is about Him about how he's restoring a people who have rebelled against him back to himself and remaking the whole world. This is the good news. The world is broken, we are wounded, but a rescuer is coming. Indeed, a rescuer has already come who took upon himself all of our mistakes, all of the ways in which, which we uh, on purpose and by accident oppress one another and treat one another poorly, all the ways that we're caught up in systems that, that break us and break one another, all of our rejection of the one who, who made us and loved us. He takes all of those things on him so that he's able to forgive and to restore. So who is this day for? Who is this day for? This day is for all who are wounded. This day is for all who are wounded. You see, Easter Sunday meets Monday morning at the intersection of our woundedness and brokenness. Easter meets every day because every day we experience woundedness in this world. You know, religion tends to be primarily about the the supernatural or the spiritual. But Christianity is profoundly about not only the spiritual, but also the physical, about bodies, about the resurrection, about the restoration of all things. But you see, the hope of Christianity is not that, that we can have our sins forgiven and that get rid of our broken bodies and then go live as spirits in heaven. No, the hope of Christianity is that we can have our sins forgiven and therefore have the world restored to what it was always supposed to be, or what it was always meant to be, including all of its wondrous physicality, including our bodies. We were made as creatures with bodies. From the very beginning, that was God's design. It's a good thing. Which is why Christians have always insisted on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's why the empty tomb matters so much. It's why the idea of just a spiritual resurrection of Jesus will never do in Christian theology. The empty tomb, Jesus' resurrected body, means that one day you and I, if we place our faith and trust and hope in Him, will receive a body like His, incorruptible, that is whole, that is free of pain and suffering. And as I look in this room, as your pastor, and and see your faces, I know so many of your stories. I know so many of your stories, and they are marked by all kinds of pain, all kinds of wounds. Physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, deep hurt. Deep brokenness. What wounds do you need healing? What is your wound? What is your sorrow, your grief? Maybe you have a hard time believing in God, believing in Christianity. I just want to ask you this morning, don't you want this to be true? do you want this to be true? That your wounds, your griefs, your sorrows are taken seriously by God and that one day He's going to restore them all? That one day everything sad really will come untrue? You see, in Christianity, your wounds and your griefs are never minimized. They are always taken seriously. Your sorrows are always taken with care. In fact, they're taken so seriously by Jesus that he came as a human being to take them on himself on the cross. This man, this Ethiopian, this eunuch who would have been ostracized because he could not be married, who would have been ostracized because he could not have children, found in Jesus a single, childless Savior. Found in Jesus a healer his wound. Are you wounded? If you're wounded, then this day is for you. This day is for you. So Philip walks through the story of the Bible. He tells this Ethiopian the good news about Jesus, and this man, he, he believes it. He comes to see in this conversation with Philip that this is what he has been seeking, that this is the person that that he has been longing for. And they're traveling along the road, and they're talking, and all of a sudden the Ethiopian, he he looks over the side, and he sees a little pond of water out there. And he says, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? he's all in at this point. And he believes that Jesus is his only hope in life and in death, and he wants to identify with Jesus in his life, death and resurrection, through the symbol of baptism. You know, this Ethiopian, he recognizes what we so often fail to grasp, and that is that the message of Jesus can never leave us neutral. The message of Jesus can never leave us neutral. Neutral. Author and literary scholar C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, he was an Oxford professor, came to become a Christian in his life. He put it this way. He says, one must keep on pointing out that Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and is of, if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. This point is, look, if Christianity isn't true, if this is all just a bunch of, of, of rubbish and myths and, and lies and nice stories, but this isn't true, then it doesn't matter at all. Don't waste your time. It's of no importance. But, he says, if it is true, it's of infinite importance, the most important thing. And yet so often we, we treat it just like a moderately important thing, one thing among many that we should care about. The one thing, Lewis says, it cannot be is moderately important. The Ethiopian grasps that immediately. He says, there's water. I want to be baptized. I'm in. This is of infinite importance. Now, baptism is one of those Christian ceremonies that can seem really strange from the outside, especially if you, you didn't grow up going to church. You don't know much about it. What's this? People getting wet in the pool, dunking. What's, what's all this about? But it's incredibly powerful. It's an incredibly powerful picture, a symbol of what it means to become a Christian. Because in baptism,
0: you're plunged
1: beneath the waters. This is a picture of death, of our death being united with Jesus' death, this this picture of hopelessness of our situation apart from Jesus, the picture of being buried. But then we are raised up out of the water as a picture, a symbol of hope, of new life, of resurrection, of the hope that that our life is united to Jesus, that his resurrection can become our resurrection. And so right then and there, the chariot stops. They wade out into the pond. And Philip baptizes him. And this Ethiopian becomes the first missionary to the ends of the earth. As he takes the good news hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, the court of an African empire in Ethiopia. Who is this day for? This day is for you. This day is for you. Look, you don't have to be from the, from the right group, from the right family. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have kids. You don't have to have the perfect family. The Ethiopians certainly didn't have any of those things. You see, Easter meets every day when you realize that Easter is all about God redeeming the world so that He can bring Himself to you. This day is for you. And just look at the incredible lengths, the incredible lengths that God goes to to seek out this one person in the story, right? He sends an angel, a divine supernatural intervention. An angel sent to Philip to tell him to go and find this guy in the road. His chariot's there at just the right moment. He has to be, happens to be reading just this text in Isaiah. The Spirit tells Peter to walk, or Philip to walk up to this guy right at this, this moment. All of these details come together. God is seeking this person, and he is seeking you too. And maybe you say, though, well, if God is seeking me, that's really true. I don't, I don't know if he's doing a very good job of it. It doesn't, doesn't feel like he's gone through those kind of lengths to seek me. And, and I understand that feeling for sure. But I just want you to know that, that at the heart of Christianity is the reality that God sent Jesus to find you. I mean, that's the good news that every other religion in the world is about you finding God. Every other founder, teacher, and every other religion says, if you do what I say, if you follow this path, then you can find God. But you see, Christianity is just the opposite. Christianity says that Jesus is God come to earth to find you. It says that actually none of us really want God all that much, but that he's come to rescue us from that. God has done far more than just send a person to your car window to explain a passage in Isaiah to you. He's actually sent Jesus, his son, to rescue you. And so whether you feel like it or not, He is pursuing you. This passage is a reminder of that, a reminder that God will go to the ends of the earth to find you. Are you worried that God would never want you? Are you worried that you have made too many mistakes, that you've tried to follow Him, but that you haven't been able to follow through, that you've done too many things that are wrong? that God wouldn't want you, that he couldn't love you. This story, this passage in Acts chapter 8 is an amazing picture of God saying, I love you. I want you. I'll go to the ends of the earth to call you to myself, to rescue you. What are the details in your story that have come together to bring you to this room this morning? Because you aren't here by accident. It's not an accident that you're sitting here right now. God is seeking you. He's been seeking people from the beginning. He sought this Ethiopian, and he's still seeking people today. Watch.
2: When I tried this many years ago, when I say try this, it's the walk of faith, right? When I just tried to do it the, the godly way. And I would always start from the beginning in Genesis, like, okay, let me read this. And I never exceeded Genesis. (laughs) It was just not easy. It was not comfortable for me. We give all the wrong people, all of our time, all of our love when the Lord was there from the very beginning. And it just resonated with, I'm like, "Mm, you preaching to me, like, (laughs) I need to come back. I need to learn more about this. My probably most memorable moment, moment at the church has not happened yet. I will be baptized, and I am super pumped about that.
1: India has become uh, a friend, and I've been so excited to journey with her in her walk with Christ. So India, tell us this afternoon, this evening, why do you want to be baptized?
2: Well, to be honest, the Lord has been calling me for many years, but I put him on hold. I took other calls for his for many years, <laughs> And it wasn't until a year ago where I found myself begging him not to wake me up. I was at the lowest point, and he woke me up. And he told me that I serve a purpose. And it's the best conversation I've been having with him since I answered the call. It's been a long walk, but it's not just for me. It, it's it's really to to prove and just let the Lord know I am so serious
1: yeah. have you experienced that kind of life the kind of life that we've been looking at in this passage the kind of life that, that India talked about in her story have you been baptized If you have been baptized, remember your baptism. It's what connects your story to this day. It unites you with Jesus' resurrection, not just the mere act of baptism, but the faith that baptism depicts. If you haven't been baptized, don't you want to join this life? A life without end, to join a God who has room for every person who would come to Him. Put your trust in Him today. And then get baptized next Sunday. Because next Sunday, April 8th, we're having a baptism service. And whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you've been a Christian for five minutes, if you've never been baptized, next Sunday is your day. Come and do that. Be a part of that with us. You might say, well, Bill, I don't know if I'm ready to be baptized. Look, the only thing you need to be ready, the only thing you need to be ready to be baptized so have committed your life to Jesus, to trust in him. I mean, do you think the Ethiopian was ready? I mean, he'd known Jesus, about Jesus, like two minutes. And he gets baptized. Even if you become a Christian this Sunday morning, in this service, right now, you'll be ready next Sunday, I promise. So don't delay your baptism Now, some of you might be here thinking, Bill, this is really new to me. I I came with my friend or my sister or my mom or dad. You know, I I wasn't even expecting any of this this morning. And maybe God's doing something in your your life, but you're just not sure yet. There's so much to process if you're ready to to commit to this yet. And that's okay, too. There are lots of questions to be answered. and, And sometimes this is a process. But we try to tackle those questions every Sunday as we look at the Scriptures. And So come back next week. Keep learning. Keep exploring. If you felt a sense of, I don't know if this is true, but I think I might want this to be true, I can at least say that. Come back next week. Keep learning. Keep exploring. You see, because today is not just about one empty tomb. This day is not just about getting Jesus out of the tomb. It's about you getting out of your tomb, about raising you and me to new and unending life. You see, we tend to think of Easter as only being about Jesus' resurrection, about Jesus' tomb, but his story is our story. Each of us has a tomb as well, and we can't do anything about getting out of it. But remember, this day is for you which means that Jesus' empty tomb is your empty tomb. From death to life, from the cross to the tomb to the the miracle of resurrection, thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And thank you for raising him from the dead that we might have the hope of unending life, unending bodily life in the renewed heavens and new earth. Would you grant each and every one of us such a deep confidence, knowledge, faith, hope in that reality today? This isn't just some inspiring story, but this is the bedrock truth on which all of reality turns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.